Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Nissan launches. We've done all of the work now and I can't wait to get in the car and, and do what we do and uh, get out there and drive them as fast as we can. Erebus kicks off their year with a big win. It's a great win for us as a driver, for the team and also for Mercedes-AMG. And HRT goes red and white. Uh, welcome to 2013, uh, HRT style. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. Find out what's going on in the world of V8 supercars with the V8 Insider. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. HRT started a big week of launches in V8 supercars with the unveiling of the VF Commodore. Style, uh, this is traditionally how the year starts, isn't it? You get The first time you see your new uniform and your race suit and all the rest of it is in a photo studio doing photos uh, ready for the uh, press launch and uh, ready to roll everything out for the year. So uh, here we are, day one back at school. The new red and white livery features the General's Lion back on the bonnet. Garth Tander and James Courtney both happy with the new car's appearance. VF looks fantastic. Uh, you know, the, the build of that's come up really nice. So, um, yeah, really can't wait to get uh, to Clipsal. I mean, we, we, we start at Eastern Creek for the official test and then we've got our own test day in the middle of that before Adelaide, but really it's when you roll out of Adelaide in qualifying on a Friday afternoon when you really know where you're at as far as speed goes. So really looking forward to Clipsal. Um, you know, obviously got a bit of testing to do between now and then, but um, preparation-wise we're in a really good shape. Nissan has launched their program confirming the Jack Kelly brothers in the Jack Daniels Racing Ultimas and Michael Caruso along with James Moffat in the third and fourth of the Nissans. Those cars sponsored by Norton 360. All four drivers spoke about their excitement and making the move to Nissan and the support the factory team brings with it. It's a very proud moment for us to go from um, Kelly Racing into Nissan Motorsport and become a factory team. It's really the biggest milestone in our team's history by a long shot and something that we're, uh, we're very, very proud and excited about. But with that comes a little bit more responsibility and it's... Um, a big job for the four of us up here to, to get out there on the track and represent Nissan. We're the only four drivers in a Nissan on the track and uh, like I say, the responsibility is a little bit higher and it's something that we're not taking lightly. It's great to finally be able to you know, talk about it and have it out there in the public domain. I mean, I know um, it's been a long time coming. I, I knew this was happening a while back now, so to finally be able to talk about it and have a fantastic looking car and um, join some new people, obviously, uh, to be a part of the Nissan factory team is... Uh, it's a pretty special moment in my career because it's it's one thing you always want to do when you know in your aspirations to be a race car driver is um, represent a manufacturer. I guess join the, the brand new Norton 360 race team. It's the first time that uh, we've had two cars 
um, two yellow cars, and I think they look fantastic, especially the number 360 car. And to be joining, I guess, these three guys, um, you know, they've all won races in the championship, so that's something that uh, I haven't done yet, but hopefully this year that might be a, a box that I can tick, and uh, it wouldn't be anything more sweeter than to do it in the brand-new Nissan Altima V8 supercar. Interesting to see that Bridgestone returns as a sponsor on the cars, along with, unfortunately, another three-digit number with Moffat driving the 360 entry. Caruso will drive the number 36. German Mercedes-Benz regular Maro Engel will drive the number 9 SP Tools racing car for Erebus Motorsport in 2013. The 27-year-old comes to the V8 supercars after completing a four-year stint in the DTM. With a 12th place finish in 2009, his championship best result. Engel has previously driven for Erebus Racing in the Australian GT Championship at Phillip Island before undertaking a secret test of a Stone Brothers Racing V8 supercar at Queensland Raceway late last year, which turned out to be an audition for the vacant seat created by the departure of Shane Van Gisbergen. On Monday, Brad Jones Racing and Gary Rogers Motorsport both beat the official factory Holden team to the punch, putting out their liveries, BJR showing off their BOC gases entry, which features a red, white and blue livery, while the two Fujitsu cars have gone to a base red with Valvoline and Cummins taking a more prominent position on the cars. Scott By talks to the V8 Insiders on this week's White Flag Lap about his step up to the main game and if it was hastened by the introduction of the new car design. Yeah, that was definitely the motivation behind the idea we had. You can see the guys that have been doing it for a long time, you know, Craig Lowndes and Ingle and those sort of guys are very experienced in the car and, and even you know the likes of Jamie Wincup now, they're on top of their game in these cars and the best opportunity you're going to get to come in on a, you know, as close to level playing field as you can imagine is is now. You'll hear more from Scott later in the show. FPR launched the Pepsi Max cars late last week with Mark Winterbottom having to leave the event as his wife Renee went into labour. Rod Nash, now an owner at FPR, talked about how he's looking at the way the team operates with his partner Ian Palmer as they look to keep the company profitable through these tough economic times. A motor racing business, like any other business, is um, is a business, and it's it's a. Uh, I've got to, um, you know, when we introduce it to the staff um, when they all come back from leave. Um, that's probably my opening statement to the staff that I, I thank Tim Edwards and, and Anne Ross, who was the, the, the chief financial controller, which I've I've kept on as a consultant. Um, those two have uh, have uh, built that whole um, you know uh, FPR um, structure there. So um, yeah, look, um, uh, and, and because of that, um, they, they've. They have run it very effective. So um, again, because I've been around for the three years, it was it was a, a great. Um, um, if you if you're ever going to purchase something, it's nice to have a, a pre-warning of three years of what you're in for. And of course, I didn't know when I was. Um, it was good. Tim and I were. Uh, he uh, he threw it back to me at Christmas. Actually, when I when I did the deal three years ago, I said to him, "Right, I want it. I want um, transparency." I don't want to be treated as a customer. Um, you know, I want exactly the same of everything. 
um, and I don't even want to own the car. So I want you to own the car and I'll pay you an added service fee for, for that right. And, um, and that way then I know that I'm getting, you know, all the equal thing where I don't own the engine and all that sort of stuff. Well, he joked with me, it was three years on, he ended up not only selling me one car, but uh, three cars in the end. So um, uh, that was quite ironic the way it played itself out. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders after the break. Tony Whitlock and Paul Marinelli will join me. And don't forget, Scott Pye joins us later in the show. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Marinelli Motorsport, it is Paul Marinelli, the voice of the V8 Insiders. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, Craig. How you doing? I'm very well. And from Race Facts, it's Tony Whitlock. Good evening, Tony. And good evening, fans. And, uh, Tony, I've got to ask you, before we go too much further, you are a man that said you never get out of bed for less than 300 kilometres. The new race formats are definitely less than that. But, yeah, <laughs> I, look, I'm switching around a bit. I've talked to a lot of people about it, but we'll talk later about that, then, shall we? We will do indeed, as we need to look at the launches. And a man who's put a target on Frosty Winterbottom's back, well, I should say helmet, is Paul Marinelli. Of course, you've been managing him for a long, long time now. And it was interesting at the FPR launch, not only did he get to show off his target, but he got an interesting phone call, Paul. Yeah, he certainly did, and uh, launch and a half, really, because as he's doing his presentation, he's in his full race gear, and uh, all the sponsors and media are assembled, and uh, Tony was there as well, and uh, everything's going well, but there's his phone madly ringing in his pocket, and of course, when he eventually gets to it, he finds out that Renee, his wife, is in labour, and at a quarter to one in the morning, uh, later that, that, that evening, of course, um, little uh, Austin Maxwell Winterbottom was uh, born, eight pounds ten, bouncing happy baby boy. And, uh, yeah, so a real launch and a half that night for the Pepsi Max crew FBR team and for little Austin, the newest Winterbottom. Two racing go-karts now needed. <laughs> and the best thing is, got a brother. Yeah. And, uh, Tony, I can just picture Frosty there. He's raced off from the launch, and he's still in his driving suit. Do you reckon the driving no, suit... I, actually, I was really pleased to see they were not in driving suits. I, I hate that getting them in driving suits when they're not at racetracks. I mean, it is so inappropriate. It shows a certain amount of immaturity of any category. You, know, you take somebody to the MCG, you stick them in a race suit. For Christ's sake, these people don't wear race suits when they go to bed. They don't wear them when they're sitting in the sitting room. Put them in bloody proper clothes, which is what they were at the launch, and that's the appropriate thing to do. Well, I'm very disappointed now because you've just completely shot down my mental picture of how that <laughs> night unfolded. It makes for a better story, doesn't it, Craig? So I'll stick with your, your story. I like that one. I have to tell you that uh, I did my two double C cross on 
on uh, Saturday morning last week, and I did embellish the story along those lines. And and it is a great story. And and again, a lot of media didn't pick up on it, the the fact not only of the launch, but of course of having the baby that night. Um, And I just thought, what a great story for a journal to pick up and run with. But... uh, Certainly not. A few did, of course, in the industry, but I mean, even outside it in general sport. But you know, as, unless you're kicking around a piece of pigskin, you don't tend to get a lot of coverage in the in these papers. And if, if he had a race engineer with him engineering the birth, then yes. there's the story. Yes, and getting the data of um, the heartbeat and all that sort of thing, and, and how how uh, how spread apart the contractions were. And uh, come on, Renee, you can go quicker than that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd, look, I'd love to tell you that uh, the launch was great and all the rest of it, and from all reports it was, uh, Tony, because you were there, but right, look, I, it was. I wasn't because I wasn't invited. No, I, I, <laughs> it was a, a good launch, it was well done. It was an appropriate launch for somebody who, in, in Schweppes and Pepsi, are very reliant on their uh, retail uh, sector, and there were a large number of people there, a lot of them obviously buyers, and it was fortunate, so fortunate, the Woolworths buyer, who obviously buys a few bottles of Pepsi, he was able to win the door prize, which was a framed Pepsi Max race suit. It's, all, it's always good when your top customers win. Well, he's lucky. He won't fit into it, unfortunately. His left leg might, but nothing else. Who <laughs> would have thought? <laughs> I, am, I, I don't want to drag Paul into this part of the discussion unless he wants to jump in, but these cars... They look like BARs from back when they just banned tobacco sponsorship and, well, just before they banned tobacco sponsorship, actually. And I've got to say, I'm not a fan. Tony, what was your impression of having one colour, one half of the car blue and the other yellow? Well, I could only ever put one one car in my eyes at that time because they were parked next to each other. um, No, look, uh, you know, it doesn't worry me that much, obviously. If you're one side of the racetrack, you'll see one colour on the other side of the other. So, no, look, it's it's needs must. And quite honestly, they need to get as much coverage as they can because they've actually got to get maximum dollars. Probably they need to get a few more sponsors on the side of those cars. Yeah, and the way I see it, uh, Craig, it's very simple. You've got to stand out from the crowd. You have to. And you have to do whatever you can to do that in order to gain the maximum amount of publicity. Uh, FBR obviously run at the front. So do guys like Triple Eight. Red Bull's going to be out there in force. You know, in order to stand out, you need to do things like that. You know, you can't just go for your normal colour schemes anymore because uh, as as nice as they they are, they they don't stand out enough to get the exposure that that a a company like PepsiCo would demand or Schweppes. And the good thing is, at least the cars don't look like the road pizzas as they were described when Murph was like... (laughs) Yes, yeah, there was there were some shockers. There's no doubt about that. There were some yeah. absolute abominations, and mm. and same with some past FBR liveries as well. Um, but uh, this one here is a bit of a winner, I think. All right. Well, we need to talk about the other side of the fence when we only had two manufacturers, and that is Holden, because HRT had all set their launch for this Monday, and before they got it launched, of course, BJR and Gary Rogers Motorsport Paul beat them to the punch and. Got the photos out first. Yeah, well, they obviously thought they'd be lost in the crowd if they didn't, and good on them for doing that. It's a good little PR strategy. Once you know that the, one of the big players is going to do something at a certain time, they knew about the FPR one, they picked a little window and they went for it and uh, got some coverage as a result. Uh, unfortunately, all the launches are sort of bunched in together because of the test day on Saturday being like an ultimate deadline and the car, the future time frames and getting the cars ready took so long, the aero testing to get all formal 
normalised and improved. So it's not a, it's not for the want of the teams that it all happened altogether. It's just really a, a lack of time that was available. But every sponsor expects a major launch. They want their customers involved. They want the end users involved. They want to see it on television and all that sort of thing. So um, they all have to really do them. All the serious teams do really do have to do them. Mm. As it turned out, I actually think that of the three uh, Holden teams that have shown their colours today, um, well, three different colour schemes out of uh, um, Albury, of course, but anyway, I think that the Holden, the um, HRT cars look the best. I, I rather like that uh, predominantly white look about them. It made them very clean, and it almost showed off the shape better of them. I was a big fan of last year's HRT livery. The cars themselves were dogs, but the actual livery um, was beautiful, I thought. I just absolutely loved it. But out of the Holden so far, GRM for me looks fantastic. It's certainly the most red. What I'm interested in is they're making a big thing about the lion going back on the bonnet. Now, I don't know how much walk... Yeah, well, I don't know how much Walkinshaw are getting paid, but normally a line on the bonnet means there's not enough sponsors, Tony. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. Um, Cole was only, I think, a last minute uh, decided to, to stay on board, and so they got the sides. Um, Holden probably were uh, saying in these times that when there are so many brands out there on the grid, it'd be a good idea to reinforce uh, what the uh, line is all about. Mm. Hey, look, and, you know, I mean, the other great thing, of course, is it's highly likely that those HRT cars will be up the front showing their badges. Yeah, and it's interesting to see on the other side of the fence where a team that has, you know, quite a large number of sponsors, such as FPR, do you remember the bird of prey was always so bare on the cars? It looked pretty good, but it was always sort of bare. Now you can barely make out where the bird of prey is because there's so many logos and, and colours everywhere. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it sort of shows you can really see the teams that, are, that have um, done very well commercially and the ones that perhaps haven't done as well or have got fewer sponsors paying more, mm. you know. Well, in the news, we spoke to Rod Nash about uh, how Tim Edwards uh, said to him he wanted uh, him to buy a car, and now Rod Nash has actually bought three uh, transporters and uh, all that, uh, all and sundry that goes with it. And uh, Tony, it's been fascinating that they managed to keep the news of that uh, buyout so quiet for so long. There were five people who knew about it um, back in uh, Bathurst. And they kept it quiet until it was broken on uh, a website. And um, on the Friday, when it was going to be announced to uh, the staff and including the drivers, on the Monday uh, at 8.30 at the factory, um, so they kept it quiet. But, you know, it might have been a professional leak done by a certain uh, V8 organisation to get the story out there as soon as possible. Yeah, I must admit that was that was a big shock to uh, the drivers as well as <laughs> managers and everyone else involved and staff. Um, initially, people were in total disbelief, and of course, when we found out it was true, you know, you, there's a lot of people that weren't happy about the fact that someone in the media found out before um, staff and, and drivers and the rest of it. But at the end of the day, it's their business, and you know, FPR sadly has never been able to make a single announcement without some leak of some kind. I know that from first-hand experience. Um, unfortunately, loose lips sink ships, and in this case, if it was done by the series or if it was done by the team, it's nothing unusual, uh, but it was a pretty huge thing to have to read about on a website and then try and verify uh, for employees, for the drivers, for the managers and so forth. Uh, not well handled at all, sadly, but very, you know, 10 out of 10 for keeping it quiet. 
for as long as what they did. Unbelievable. Second only to the uh, Nissan announcement back in 2012. We need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. Plenty more when we return. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Each week, find out what's going on in the world of V8 Supercars with the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining me, Tony Whitlock and Paul Marinelli. And guys, uh, the 12 hour, we haven't so spoken about this yet, but isn't it interesting? Not only are we getting the international support from manufacturers and uh, drivers, but we're also seeing a lot more V8 supercars getting in a lot more competitive cars. Isn't it interesting that that should be happening? Because a certain person walked out of V8 supercar offices and no longer there. I think that um, no longer are drivers being warned off going on doing other races. They're actually mm. sort of now being able to not only protect their current income, but look at more income by doing other things. I mean, obviously, guys like Brighty and Andy Jones and David Wall going off and driving to the Peugeot factory. I mean, they're being paid to do that. But the great thing for all of them who are going to be doing the 1,000K race is those laps. And the interesting thing is... There are certainly five or six more GT cars coming next year. Already that interest was shown on the day. But there are a lot of, I think, um, drivers who may have already done the service race or others were thinking could be doing the service race will, in fact, opt out of that to do Bathurst and Sandown because it's a much better event for them. And while they can't do uh, both, that uh, they'll go and do the Bathurst 1000. Yeah, well said, uh, Tony. Ditto. I think that uh, the, the opportunity to give uh, V8 supercar drivers, and particularly younger ones and co-drivers, more mileage at Bathurst uh, makes the 12-hour incredibly attractive. And I'm all for it. I think it's a fantastic event. I love the cars. I just think that uh, for every international driver that comes and gets an opportunity, well, an Australian driver should get the same opportunity. And that was probably a little out of kilter this year. And I can understand why these things happen. But I don't like to see, you know, talented young Australian drivers not being looked at in favour of paying a fortune to get someone out of Germany to come and drive, you know. But it is good for the event to have that flavour too. So it's a, it's a formula that's got to be very carefully taken control of. The thing that really needs to help that event, though, is more media coverage, uh, television, more PR. You know, the organisers did all they could. Uh, the Radio Le Mans coverage was nothing short of superb, uh, but it was all online. You know, I would have liked to have seen some more television and some more interest from the mainstream media or motorsport media, you know. It, uh, oh, sorry, the motorsport media was right behind it, but more the general sports media as well. Well, you know, the, the opportunities there were daily papers in particular. But, he, I mean, the TV news did some on it. They didn't have a, a coverage of it on the day, although it was on a website streaming. But the, the, um, the newspapers didn't go near it, which is surprising. I suppose this sports drug thing has sucked up so many pages. Yeah. Um, because the, the, the event, obviously, is well-placed in February. You know, I went up the top for the first time in a long while and watched it, and it was stunning. I mean, seeing those cars, as, as Paul said, they are stunning cars. I mean, seeing uh, Alan Simonson actually go under the, uh, the magic six mark, the two-minute six, <laughs> uh, and broke. Uh, he did a 5-5, two, five, five, 
um, and penalised, put back a, a place on the grid, got a 50 kilogram uh, pe weight penalty, got admonished by Mick Asala for being stupid about it. Um, <laughs> uh, um, fantastic, those cars are being reined in. I mean, if they were allowed to be go hell for leather mm. without the slow cars maybe next year that some of the proddies are, that it'll be even quicker again. And that's where strategy comes into it too, because the drivers heading up the mountain sometimes are just conserving fuel, staying behind other cars. They know they've got much more pace, but they just use it when they need to. And then there were the various points during the race where they were fighting uh, tooth and nail. And, of course, we saw some accidents too, and you're going to get that because there were speed differentials of up to 30 seconds between some of the cars, but that's what it's like in a GT race like that. You've got to deal with it. Um, but uh, it's nice to see Australia well on the map again in international GT racing with the Bathurst 12-hour, and even nicer to see the three-pointed star on top because I'm a mad Mercedes fan, so, so that's great. <laughs> Talking about that for a second, because, uh, yeah, I did go to it, and I spent uh, Saturday and Sunday there, and I was very glad I did. I haven't been to the 12-hour for about four years. Um, Erebus, I mean, obviously with the new V8 team that uh, they're stepping up from what's been, you know, a, a not a, a first-rate uh, act um, in the GTs. It's needed, and it's grown enormously, but... They were very impressive. It would have been a one-two for them. Lee, unfortunately, made. They didn't. I don't think he made an error at all. He really showed quite something in the way in which he went out there, grabbed a pole position for the team. Mm. And the three Australian drivers, particularly Tim and, and Lee, shaded the Germans. It, it, oh, yeah. Some time for the Germans to get the grips of mm. the track, but they shaded them. And in fact, it was uh, Schneider talked about. Um, it was only the data of Tim and Lee that actually gave them the breaking points and the things they needed to mm. actually get up to the, the speed they needed to, uh, to win the race. Mm. Yep. Well, Erebus getting the first big win of the race is interesting for me. A big win of the year is interesting for me. And are we going to see Erebus get more wins, Paul? Oh, look, you know, it's AMG don't muck around. Oh. So, so when you say Erebus, okay, Erebus is a young operation. GT, they've had some success, and Peter Hackett's done a great job program, putting that all together. But the, this is a massive step. But the thing, the statement I will make is AMG do not muck around. They no, will I... not get involved, and they will not be paid to be involved, even for a customer sports team, to lose. They're coming in this to win. I, so I, I hope they go well. I had a lovely story fall up there, and I don't know if it's true, and I don't want to ask the question, because even if it's not, it's a wonderful, apocryphal story. But Mercedes, when they uh, heard the figures that uh, SBR were getting out of their Ford engine, said, no, we do not believe them, sort of thing. <laughs> they actually sent an engine over there, yeah. put it on their dyno, and went, oh... Yeah, this, this, this is what we must achieve and better. <laughs> How do you do that with a push rod? Well, 30 years of NASCAR development. And That's right. Yeah, we kind of don't give ourselves enough of a pat on the back in, here in Australia for what we have been able to achieve with the old V8 supercar formula. Yeah. You've got to think a 1.5 tonne car, almost a 1.35 tonne car in the old language, going 305, 310 clicks of Bathurst. I mean... You know, the speeds we're getting and the, and the, the, the handling that that, that that old car got was, was really quite an incredible achievement when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, but, but AMG do not muck about. They, you know, it's a huge customer deal for them. They must deliver. And whether they're going to come out and win V8 supercar races, well, that's a big call. But will they run strongly? Yes, I think they will. Oh, I think they will extremely. They've had aerodynamicists. They've had engine blokes out here, mm. suspension blokes. You know, the, the two senior guys... In um, HWA, they were out here at Winton. I mm. saw them at work. I saw them measuring the way mm. in which they mix mixtures to prepare aero dams and you know aero mm. bars and things. Like, you know, just 
there's no shadow of a doubt that you know they have added considerably to what is a very strong uh, technical base at SBR. Barry Ryan at, was at Erebus and is still there. He was running the program at the weekend and obviously got, could have got him a one-two. Um, he's added so much to what the Stones already had. Plus, they, you know, there is no doubt at all that they will be certainly top tens by the fourth race of the year. I'd say. All right. Well, there's a big call. Now we need to talk about testing on Saturday because the focus of V8 Supercars is very much on this test day. How important, Paul, is it for a team going out in a situation like this where everything's so new? Well, being a public test day, and I remember from the Sandown one last year and the other ones have done in the past, um, you know, you know what? It's an ordinary test day. Yes, there's people there. There could be some sponsors there, etc. That's what makes it important. Uh, you want, you, you don't want your car to stop out on the track when all the TV cameras and <laughs> stuff are out there. But unfortunately, these things happen on test days. I don't think it's of crazy importance, and I do believe that if a team is happy with their car, they're not going to go out and show uh, the, the absolute maximum that they can achieve on a day like that. And the reason for it is that they don't want everyone else to know. But if they're happy with the way all the systems run and that the cars go well and they're reliable and they last for the, the you know, race simulated number of laps or whatever it is they want to do in their test program, um, I, I, other than that, you know, that's really all you can expect from it. I don't think it means, you know, if you have problems on the day that your whole season's shot or anything. Look, look at the Nissans, which we haven't mentioned in the, their launch today. Um, three of them are getting actually shaken down at that event, not just tested, shaken down. The first time they've ever rolled. Mm. Yeah, it's a very big call. But they've achieved a remarkable amount in 12 months. Oh, they have. They have. And uh, let's, you know, look, this is, we talked about AMG a lot, but let's, or Erebus, let's talk about the first new factory team to enter the sport in more than 30 years. You know, it's fantastic to see Nissan there with four cars, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I really do hope that they go well. This is a critical one for all the other potential manufacturers isn't it if nissan get good strong sales from the ultima and they get a lot of brand recognition through the general public that's going to be what entices other manufacturers more so than any statistics that v8 supercars might bring out do you know they're already experiencing a surge in sales just from the the hype uh, not that that's been solely responsible, but it certainly helped. They sold 8,000 cars last year. I mean, that's yeah, they're an importer, remember, um, here in Australia. They've done extremely well, so, and that's a huge jump on the year before. So imagine if they go well in V8s, and then, as you say, the other manufacturers will be watching, and when they see spikes like that happen in this day and age, you've got to get in there as well uh, if you want to have that same sort of performance-aligned uh, reputation. Tony, Dick Johnson Racing, uh, we covered this a lot last week on the show, but the news isn't getting any better. They're going to run flood support livery at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park. And uh, really, uh, how close is your mail on their D-Day? If you had a basket, I'd put a minute. Uh, yeah, and I'd add the word case at the end of it. Yeah. And uh, it's very sad because for the first time in 31 years, um, there's a chance. I don't know uh, how much, but certainly I don't think Stephen's going to be there in a car um, next Saturday. I don't think they're going to have two cars on the track. Um, they're, um, they're in severe financial trouble. I, I can't mention the name of the person who said it, but uh, I was told uh, if we had $5 million um, tomorrow, it still wouldn't help us uh, enormously get out of our problems. Uh, they have a severe handicap in financially 
tackling this season. And this this isn't a problem now, Tony. This has been going on for years, oh, as you no, well know, and and it just keeps compounding on itself. And just you know, you just got to wonder at the end of the day, you know. Uh, you know, as much as we all love Dick and he's an icon of the sport and whatever, if the business isn't sustainable, you know, you yeah, keep going and going, all you do is keep digging a bigger hole. Yeah, but in the same way that... Um, I, look, I, as an AFL supporter, I belong to a particular group called the ABC supporters. That is anyone but Collingwood. <laughs> OK? But as, a, as an ex-Fitzroy... I know I'm a current Fitzroy supporter, but, you know, squeeze between Collingwood and Cullen. But let mm-hmm. me say that the AFL will be very poor without Collingwood. Yeah. Same way that, that while um, people don't go around hating Dick with a the passion, they hate Collingwood, mm. the series needs Dick and it needs HRT out there. Yeah, sure. sure. These are icons and they are for good reason because they've been continually performing, not quite at the top level, but performing um, mm. over a sustained period. Mm. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take many things to fall in line to, uh, to get those things back up there again. Um, uh, Dick's cars are going to be largely FPR-based, and for that reason they should be on the speed. One of the problems may be that he's got to have two pay drivers in there. Now, pay drivers aren't always um, a handicap in terms of speed. I mean, look at Nicky Lauda. He paid for his first three drives in Formula One. Yeah, I, I must say that the, the way the pay driver situation is happening in the sport, it's beginning of the end because you, the reliance is so heavy on the pay driver that once you do it once, you're going to keep doing it over and over again unless you suddenly, miraculously, in your first season, start winning races, which I don't know how long it's been since that's happened. Um, and it's just a very slippery slope that the teams are hitting down by, by placing so much reliance on most of the funding coming from the drivers. Um, the, I think it's just a, a dangerous situation and um, hopefully things get better in the future but at the moment it's certainly not looking that way mm. well we have to wrap it up here but Tony I haven't let you uh, I haven't let you expand on are you now prepared to get out of bed for less than 200 kilometers yes I am um, I, I unfortunately remember the um rather debacle races at uh, Queensland Raceway with that uh, 15 minute break in between all that sort of rubbish but uh, you know I'm sort of being reminded about the success of 2020 cricket I don't happen to like 2020 cricket so that's the same reason I don't like um, these uh, 12 minute or 20 minute races or whatever they are Um, I much prefer something with some substance and some some period of time over it Um, the the they're doing this to try and um, get some sort of that same 2020 sort of wild hit and bash that happened at Sandown in those Saturday races. So if that's what's necessary, the needs must. Mm. Well, guys, it's a pleasure to have you both on the show. Look forward to this test day this can, Saturday. Can I just interrupt for a second? There's one thing on your list of uh, categories you want to talk about, and I should because I went and it was almost one of the reasons I went up there was to talk, meet and talk to Marco Engel. Um, he is uh, one of the most erudite, well-spoken, uh, a thinking uh, driver. No hair, sunglasses and shoes for him. He actually uh, told me about things and, and uh, from the DTM and how excited he is. He is a major asset, not just to Erebus and the Stone Brothers' memories and those things, but to the whole series because he will bring something and he, you, know, you could stick him on a TV show tomorrow. Now, he, is it Marco or Murrow? Marco. 
It is Marco. Right? Oh, I was under the understanding it was Murho or Maro. Oh well, but anyway. Maro. No, sorry, Maro. It is. Yeah, it's Maro. Maro. It's not Marco. It's Maro. Yeah. Maro. But uh, look, he was a legend in DTM. Uh, very, very fast, and uh, as Tony says, extremely well presented. I saw him in action at Oschersleben in Germany, and I was like blown away. Um, he's very, very good. So. Uh, yeah, you don't mind drivers with that sort of talent coming on board? No, look, and he will force a few few of the competitors to sort of look at themselves and go, hmm, maybe I can't be the arrogant shit I have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite a few of them, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thanks once again, guys, for joining us on the show. After the break, another young driver making his move up to the main game. That's Scott Pye joins us on the White Flag Lap. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Tony Delberto for listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's Fujitsu White Flag Lap, we congratulate Scott Pye on the news of his stepping up into the main game for 2013. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, I mean, it was fantastic having Vern there, and uh, I've been fortunate enough now to meet him a couple of times, and uh, I mean, it is a pleasure, and it's a, a good honour to have, obviously, an ex-Le uh, Mans winner as well to welcome me to the land of V8 supercars and also, um, you know, attract a bit of attention for the Clipsal 500. Mm. Now, of course... You've raced in a number of different series. Has the attention you you have received and the work you've had to do in this period building up to getting to Eastern Creek for the test day more hectic and and different to what you've done before? Um, I mean, it it was tough doing Formula 3. The cars are obviously quite physical as well and demanding, so my training over there was, was fairly intense as well. But the thing that's been different here is I do work full-time at Triple at, uh, Eight Race Engineering, and that's where the cars are being built. So you know, I've been able to have a bit of input on my car and, uh, and you know, help the guys as much as I can with, with the build and things. So, you know, my training uh, has definitely stepped up a little bit, definitely doing a bit more endurance work. Um, but it's been good to, to be able to you know, mentally prepare by, by helping the guys and always being surrounded by... Uh, yeah, by, by motorsport effectively and uh, you know, I feel like I'm in a good position now and, and definitely uh, it's been a quick learning curve in touring cars coming through just one year of Dunlop Series but um, yeah, my preparations definitely, uh, I mean I feel like I've left no stone unturned in, uh, in my preparations, I'm, I'm more than ready for Eastern Creek and, and just excited about Clipsal. Roland Dane is your manager, how long ago did he sort of suggest to you that the opportunity was there to step up? Um it was a tough one. We signed last year to, on to do two years in the Dunlop series, and uh, we, we at that point hadn't even thought about doing the Enduros. So, uh, you know, after I won, won my first race at the second round, we knew things were going a little bit better than we expected, and uh, that was when we started looking at doing the Endurances with Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport. Um, and, and as the year progressed, I mean, we, we won another race, won a round, and, and the year went better than we could have expected, and also the Endurance events went very well. And uh, that put us in a good position to negotiate a deal in the main series this year. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that 
it's come off with a team that uh, you know, is associated with Triple Eight Race Engineering. It's a Holden and also Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport. So uh, you know, it's it's worked out very well. With the Car of the Futures introduction this year, does it mean that the step is a better time to take it because everyone's going to have a new car to deal with? Yeah, that was definitely the motivation behind the idea. We had, you can see the guys that have been doing it for a long time, you know, Craig Lowndes and Ingle and those sort of guys, very experienced in the car, and, and even, you know, the likes of Jamie Wincup now, they're on top of their game in these cars, and the best opportunity you're going to get to come in on a, you know, as close to a level playing field as you can imagine is, is now. You know, we've got two new manufacturers as well, which offers up some some good opportunities if uh, if they're not quite on the ball straight away and and the car is different enough that it could offer some challenges for the experienced drivers so with me only having one year of experience in the the v8 supercar i don't feel like i've uh, adapted too much to the touring car style i think the car of the future is going to suit my more open wheeler style and uh you know hopefully that will, will reap some rewards for me mm. now you've just gone through seat fittings and getting yourself comfortable in the car how long does that take and what does it involve it's uh, i mean it depends on how fussy the driver is personally i'm, I'm quite particular and you know i've even uh, i started it yesterday and uh was here until you know, nine o'clock last night and i've picked it up again today and i'm still going just making sure everything's exactly right you know it's uh this year is important because you're spending so long in the car and, and obviously it's, it's quite physically demanding so you need to make sure everything is just right and uh, you know I'm, I'm definitely making sure uh, the car is in, in the best shape for me to, to sit in and uh, you know I'm as comfortable as possible. Mm. Of course it is a new a new start for not only Verd Supercars but for Lucas Dumbrell of changing the way they're running their team they're changing the way they're doing business so obviously in years gone by where we've seen lucas not have a car out on the track during a practice session that you can't afford that when you're trying to learn everything all at once exactly there's been a, a big shake up within the team and uh, i definitely think it's all for the best you know lucas is he's very determined on on making this work and and i can see you know he's quite excited about this year as are all the the new guys they've, they've employed this year um, and also Roland, you know, with Roland being my manager, he's got quite a bit of input into the team and, uh, you know, brand new cars, effectively a new team and, uh, you know, some great motivation by all the guys. So I'm sure this year, you know, we could be a bit of a surprise. And I guess critically for them, they'll have two lots of data because you are going to have a teammate uh, with an announcement yeah. coming soon. Exactly. It's, um, you know, it's uh, yet to be released who my, my teammate's going to be, uh, but it's, for me, fantastic as well because I am still exper- inexperienced, sorry, in the in touring cars and uh, hopefully to have someone, you know, with experience is going to be good, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot that, that can be said for having two cars, you know, whether it's just running different setups on each car in a practice session allows you to get two bits of feedback and, um, and compare data, see what's best, and come race time, you're effectively shortcutting the learning process so you can be in a better position for the race. Mm. Now, have you got a mapped out plan of what you want to do when you get to Sydney Motorsport Park for that official test day? Are you working on a goal of as many laps as possible? Are you looking for quality sort of things as you go through the day? I think it's uh, for, for a lot of people, it's going to be still more or less a shakedown. The cars are very new and I'm sure there's going to be some teething problems. So, you know, we've got a test plan for sure, but we'll see how much of that we can get through. So it's going to depend on the cars. And also, you know, with me, there's no point in, in just smashing around to do laps. You know, there's got to be a purpose behind it. 
Uh, and if we can get in a good stead, then at the end of the day, then I'd like to do some race runs and uh, and probably smash myself without any calling or something like that to try and prepare myself for Clipsal. And then, of course, Clipsal, a home track, no bigger stage in V8 Supercars for you. Exactly. It's, uh, it's an exciting place for me to be going to. You know, it's it's one where all my friends and family are going to be at and, uh, and, I mean, probably would be even if I wasn't there because it is a great event. So... I am uh, very excited. The circuit as well was fantastic and you know, I'm almost disappointed. I've only ever raced there once uh, being last year, so to return there now and already in the main series is going to be fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, to have my, my mum and, and the rest of my family out there will be great as well. Mm. Well, Scott, looking forward to seeing you out there on the track right throughout season 2013 and congratulations again on the announcement. Thank you very much. That's all we have time for on this week's show as the chequered flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. My thanks to Tony Whitlock, Paul Marinelli and, of course, Scott Pye. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.